the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, and today we're going to have multiple guests. I am joined first, though, by Jason Wilson of GameSpeed. He wears all of the hats over there. He's been on the show many times. He's kind of our Western RPG guy. Jason, welcome back. Hi, but we're not talking Western RPGs, at least at first, are we? No, we're not. In fact, we will be talking about Final Fantasy Explorers, which came out, I believe, on Tuesday. Um, I am not doing the full review on that. Jeremy is doing the full review. But I actually I actually ended up getting a copy myself for some reason. Um, they sent it to me instead of Jeremy. So I was like, eh, what, what the heck? I'll just end up playing a few hours of it. And I ended up enjoying it more than I thought I would, and I wrote some thoughts over on the site so you can check it out. Jason is doing the review. Um, Jason, have you posted a full review yet? Yes, I have. Oh, well, you can go check that out over on GameSpeed. Uh, we were going to have Phil Kohler from Polygon on as well, but unfortunately he wasn't able to make it, which is too bad because I'm sure that he would have had some good thoughts because I know that he posted his review. Um, but- yeah, yeah, considering that the three of us played some multiplayer together, too. And once we uh, finish talking about Explorers, we'll talk a little bit about what Jason's been playing, because as far as I can tell, he's playing all of the RPGs. Just about. And then we will have Bob and Nadia on in the back half of the episode to talk about Paper Jam, which we did review over on the site. So I think that's the one RPG I'm not playing right now. So let's talk a bit about Final Fantasy Explorers. Uh, so for a bit of background, Final Fantasy Explorers is Square Enix's take on the Monster Hunter genre. Um, this is not the first time that they've tried to do a Monster Hunter clone. Um, you may recall that there was a really bad PSP game called Lords of Arcana that came yeah. out several years ago. Um, it took Monster Hunter and tr- basically set it to a metal soundtrack and was like hardcore and bloody and also not very good. In any case, this is a, a bit more of a proper Square Enix Final Fantasy Monster Hunter clone. Except it's, it's not. It's, it's very much its own thing, would you say? Because. It is. Yeah, because Monster Hunter is a game of skill. Um, where, and I'm not denigrating explorers at all. It's a game where like you really have to be very careful about your positioning, um, teamwork, dodge rolling, um, stats don't come into it as much, but in Explorers, stats stats very much do come into it. It's much more of a hack and slash RPG, uh, a more traditional action RPG, wouldn't you say, uh, Jason? Yes, it, it, you know all that stuff about Monster Hunter that makes it so challenging and yet so rewarding for the people who really dig it um, aren't, aren't really in. Is it really in Final Fantasy Explorers? And that that's just one of several things that I found disappointing about the game. So you found it disappointing in the end. Yeah, yeah, I called it a bland, my first Monster Hunter. What really bothers me about it is, to me, it didn't feel like a Final Fantasy game. Well, I mean, that's okay, though, because Final Fantasy like can take in so many different forms. And anyway, Square Enix is getting away from the whole action, or getting away from the whole turn-based thing anyway. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with turn-based or not, for me, when it comes to a Final Fantasy game. You know, there's something about the world 
Mm. in almost every single Final Fantasy game that feels Final Fantasy. And even though this has some of the trappings, it's got Moogles, it's got the monsters, it's got the classes and the jobs, it just feels like a place. It doesn't feel like a world from Final Fantasy. It doesn't have that epic scale of a world from Final Fantasy that most of them do. And you can say whatever you want about Final Fantasy thirteen. At least to me, it, the world felt like something that Final Fantasy would try to achieve. It was a you know very epic world and real big things going on in it. And you don't have that here with Final Fantasy Explorers. And that was the, the most disappointing part for me. It could have been any type of RPG. Hmm. So what else didn't you like about Explorers? Well, that was my biggest complaint. Um, I had a few things I didn't like about it. Um, the, the the first was that. The second was I, I didn't care for having this on the 3DS. And people are going to probably say I'm a wimp and, you know, old man here complaining. But it hurts my hands trying to play an action <laughs> game on the 3DS. It hurts my hands. Well, I have it's big not hands. the game's fault. Well, it's yes, it is because it's on that platform. Yeah, but I mean, it's fine on the. In general, it's fine on the 3DS. I mean. Yeah, but when you're sitting there and you're having to use the L and R buttons repeatedly as you're trying to move around with both the, with the stick and the little Circle Pad Pro and hitting all these other buttons, it, it, it's hard because it doesn't have the spacing around it that a console controller would have, and I felt a console controller would have really improved the experience for me. Um, well, with I can't all play, due respect, I, it sounds a little bit like you're saying no game should be made for the 3DS because you don't like the 3DS, which I mean that's your prerogative and all. I said action. Okay. Okay. Well, in any case, yeah, I can, I, I mean, you're, you're certainly not the first person to feel discomfort playing, um, an action game on the 3DS. Like, you know, I could play, I could play a role play game that doesn't have those action elements, mm-hmm. you know, something like a Bravely Default, and it doesn't hurt my hands. Okay. Well, um, it's clear that I ended up liking Explorers yeah. a bit more than you did. Yeah. And I felt it was just too repetitive. Well, I mean, that's this kind of game, right? Well, yeah, it is, but still, you know, there's there's repetitive that's engaging, mm-hmm. and then there's repetitive that just feels like you're doing the same thing over and over again. And one example is, if you're going to make it repetitive, then don't repeat boss quests. Mm-hmm. And I really hate how after you take on Ifrit and after you take on Shiva and you beat them, oh, you got to go back and beat them again. That's interesting because um, I was able to continue without having to take on Ifrit again because I beat Ifrit and then initially I thought that I had to fight Ifrit again, but as it turned out, I just had to go talk to a person on the world map and that opened up new stuff and then I was able to take on, um was it the Dryad? Yeah. Yeah, I was able to take on the Dryad and I was able to take on... um who else did I take on? I took on another, uh, uh, and Rama opened up as well. Yeah. So I was but, able to progress. But you didn't get the, the Magicite. And in order to get the Magicite, which gives you the special abilities on the Crystal Surge for uh-huh. the residents of Ifrit and the other Edria lawns, you have to beat them a second time after that opens up, that component of the game opens up. So you're only going to fight these, um, like, I think it was four boss battles over, um, Ifrit, Ramla, Shiva, and Dryad. But it's annoying to have to do it. All right, before we continue, I suppose that we should elaborate on what a Crystal Surge is. Um, yeah. As I already and- said, uh, Final Fantasy Explorers, it's a hack and slash kind of game. Um, it's a game that you can get into a lot more quickly than your average monster hunter, because you just run in and, you know, you hack stuff to death depending on what class you choose. And then 
uh, once you like, you know, build up your hits on a monster enough, um, eventually you will unlock a thing called a crystal surge, which you just press L and R together and you will be given a choice of several buffs that can be applied to your attacks. Um, they can include stuff like, uh, what was it? Increased dodging or they will add an elemental attack to your, uh, to your attacks, which can be very useful against certain bosses. And then you get others that are, are, are flavored to Final Fantasy, like Toonberry, Toonberry Karba. What does that do? I never got it to a mutate to one of my skills. So that's what makes this really cool is, and I really liked this. It worked for me, but I didn't know what it did. Was that once you use the crystal surge and you use abilities that this affects, your abilities can mutate and then it takes on a new property. So for example, so you get a crystal surge with fire and then you use a bow attack and say use one of the special bow attacks you have. It can mutate and to take on the fire property along with the other property it already has. So you're able to advance your abilities, and in a way, it's like your abilities leveling up. They change. And that is really cool, and I really enjoyed that. Um, one of the really fun things of this game is you're done out in the field, and you've de- you know you've defeated the monsters, or you give up because you're running out of time, or the quest is just too d- tough for you. You go back to town. You can take a look. There's a big crystal in the middle of town, and you go there, and you can see your new abilities and how they've mutated. And then you can check and pick them, and you can change their names and add them or just delete them if you don't like them. I like that part. Um, the custom ability of this game is really cool. Yeah, the ex- and the Crystal Surge ended up saving me at one point because I think we were playing Shiva, and yeah. I was – or no, Dryad. We were fighting Dryad, and we were – we're getting pretty low on health because Dryad, like, it's all status attacks, right? Yeah. And it, like, spawns Marlboros that will use bad breath on you. And you're, so you're, like, confused and you're poisoned. And I was getting run down quite a bit. I was playing with somebody else who was reviewing the game. And I was like, oh crap, I'm so screwed. And then I got a thousand needles, <laughs> Dryad. Oh. Or a thousand needles, Crystal Surge. Which, like, made every one of my attacks deal a thousand damage. That's fantastic. You see, I never got that Crystal Surge, and I never got it to mutate because of it. And that and that's sad, because, uh, I, you know, eventually you are fighting Cactars. Yeah, okay. It's fun to bring the, and it's, it's just fun to have those kind of things. That's why it's like, you're like, well, this doesn't feel like Final Fantasy. I mean, at least in a superficial sense, you do see a lot of the, the classical stuff. You're fighting Chocobos, you're fighting yeah, Ifrit. But- Cat it's cars. like Monster Hunter with a skin, mm. not a Final Fantasy Monster Hunter. Mm. And, and and that's a very, that's you know, maybe I'm being nitpicky here, and and maybe I'm complaining more than somebody should about something like this. But th- that's how I felt playing this. It just didn't feel like a Final Fantasy game. The stakes weren't there. I mean, what to you is a Final Fantasy game? Because when I think of like Final Fantasy can so totally run the gamut, right? Because yeah. I mean, this is very much in the mold of classical Final Fantasy, right? Like the original, like the original game, um, kind of the light, fun look with the airships and everything. Uh, certainly not the same as say Final Fantasy thirteen with its dark, uh, technological kind of setting or Final Fantasy seven. Well, to me, at the end of at you know when it comes down to the end of it, a Final Fantasy is about saving 
the town. It's about saving the world. It's about having an impact on the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I was having that impact. Okay. Well, I think a lot of this game, like maybe some of your issues were by design, um, which I, I like that's fair enough, right? It's like, okay, I don't like the very nature of this game, but it was designed with like this kind of repetition that you're describing in mind because it's meant for the Japanese public, right? And so much of it is get your friends together in like a McDonald's or something after you're done with school and play with your three other friends or play with your coworkers and you just go out and you grind uh materials and you kill bosses and you use those materials to upgrade your weapons and get new armor and rinse and repeat. And I can totally respect that that like, gets pretty dull for certain people like i certainly i'm that's certainly not normally my cup of tea i don't like just a pure pure grind but um in the sense of what it was trying to accomplish i, I think that it accomplished it fairly well right um it, it's if, fun yeah. to play uh well you see that's the thing i, I after a while you know, i was playing them like okay so i'm just grinding here for gear what's the bigger point and i wanted the, the point is gear but i want the bigger point it's like when you're it's like saying FPS. what's the point of diablo loot what's but the point of an playing, mmo loot but you still levels. have a story that you're trying to solve in diablo and trying to finish so you wanted a story not necessarily i wanted something that was at stake Okay. And I didn't see anything at stake. There was no stakes. And when there's no stakes, it's really hard for me to care. It's like it's like an all-star game. That's funny because uh, I I can see what you're saying. I guess I I guess for me personally that's not an issue, but yeah, I can I can understand the desire to have a goal. I suppose you could say. It's like I am working towards something. I am not just getting loot for loot's sake. Let's look at Etrian Odyssey. You know, you're, you're you know you're trying to get to the bottom of the labyrinth and find the mystery that's down there. Yes. And you're going to grind probably a lot more than you're going to grind in just about any other type of RPG. Mm-hmm. And that's okay to me because there's an end goal to back there, and that's what I want, and that's what motivates me. Um, I've tried Monster Hunter, and gosh, I want to like it. I really do. And it's it's just <laughs> it just doesn't the stakes aren't there for me. You know, and maybe, you know, sometime in the future, I'll find a Monster Hunter-like game that that I'll like. Maybe that it's out there, you know? Hmm. But so far, I haven't found it yet. Yeah, it just sounds like this genre is not your cup of tea. But I'm not going to give up and stop trying. I think, so in my case, um, I'm kind of with you. Monster Hunter has never really been my cup of tea either. Uh, I could just never really get into it, though. Like, I, I did play a little bit of... The most recent Monster Hunter, um, for Ultimate, I think it was. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is a really attractive game. Um, there's obviously some depth here and it's kind of cool, but unfortunately that's going to take a lot of effort to learn and I don't have the time. So I'm going to invest it elsewhere. And this kind of game actually would work for that if that was something you're really interested in, because here's a few things it does that makes the Monster Hunter type of formula a little easier. Uh, it's definitely player friendly. Uh, you know, it shows you where the boss is. The boss doesn't run away when you get it down to a certain amount of hit points. So you have to go chase after it. You're not using an item to try to help track it. Um, when you die fighting the boss, 
you could sacrifice five minutes of quest time to revive right there at full hit points, full AP. Um, it's got some fast travel. So, you know, there's some ways that it helps ease you into it. Yeah, it's also not com- as complicated as Monster Hunter in the sense of, like, in Monster Hunter, you like you have to bring a lot of, like, items, right, when you're yeah. going on a hunt. And a lot of the time you're like, what does this item do? What does this item do? What does this mean? Why do I need this? So you gotta, you gotta prepare. You want to cook some food before you. Yeah, have like that. cooking is kind of like what, what, what's going on yeah. with this? And then, so then you do all of that, and then you get in, and like, and actually hunting a monster, it's not just running up and hitting it and like learning its attacks. Like you have to track this thing. Like you have to be able to follow it, and it can be like uh, an epic kind of uh, chase. Uh, whereas in Final Fantasy Explorers, like you just you fight in an arena kind of setting, right? Yeah. So, the hardest the hardest part once you get to the to to wherever it is and, and wandering around at the hardest part is making sure you click on follow large instead of follow small. Yeah. Which I, I'm going to stress that I don't think that it's a bad thing that Final Fantasy Explorers takes this approach because I was talking to a friend of mine last night and he was like, oh yeah. Like, I really want to play something with my girlfriend, um, like, just to play together, um, but we couldn't get into Monster Hunter. It was just, like, too dense, and it wasn't very fun. I was like, oh, you should totally check out Final Fantasy Explorers. It's a perfect, um, it does a really good job of onboarding you. Like, you immediately kind of, like, grok what's going on with it. It's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm hitting things, and they are dying. Okay, that's fine. And, like, just from, strictly from an RPG perspective, it's more intuitive in the way that... Upgrade weapons, upgrades are better. Look, my stats are going up. I'm getting better armor. Oh, like, lots of stuff are getting dropped. Okay, like, I can take these things and craft them into new armor. Oh, hey, my character now looks cool. Oh, I have job classes. Okay, and they're like in the Final Fantasy mold, so I can be a black mage, yeah. or I can be a, uh, a ranger or a knight. Okay, cool. And you understand what those, what, what means if you've been playing Final Fantasy. You understand what those classes mean and what they do. Exactly, yeah. And so, and same with the ability names. You know, you, you, you know a gravita is going to be a gravity based attack. Exactly. And plus the enemies too. Like you look at the enemies and you go, oh, well, right. Yeah. I know Ifrit's going to be like a fire guy and Shiva is going to be an ice person. So maybe I want to upgrade my weapon to have the right affinities to be able to take them out without too much trouble. Yeah. 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 So I gave it a 65 out of 100, which, you know, 60 on our scale, that's, that's, that's a good game. Mm. Just it, it needs more. Oh, I understand that. Um, I will say that I enjoyed it in the sense of it was definitely the kind of game that you can get into really quickly and really easily. It's fun to play with your friends. Um, it's kind of mindless. Like, I think I was watching hockey and just playing with a friend, um, oh, like last gosh. night. Yeah, I was, I, I watched a lot of things in the background as I was playing this. Um, yeah, like you don't have to think too much about it. and But at the same time, it's not completely devoid of death. Stuff like the crystal surges and the loot that you can get and the way that the classes interact does lend it a modicum of death. And let's talk about one thing. If, you know, if you're playing single player, you can also have a team of monsters with you that are fighting on your side. Yes. And I, I like that because... It's you know you're you're building a team of monsters. It, it's like you're playing a monster game. It's not the same as Pokemon. It's not the same as Monster Rancher. But you're you're collecting this stable. Um, when you kill a monster, they'll have a drop. That's the monster spirit. It's called an 
not God. I don't know if I'm saying this right. Soul? Atmeleth. I thought it was a soul. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the, that's the name. And then you go to another place and you pay some money to activate it, and then you can add it to your stable. So, and, and the monsters level up as as you go out and fight with them. And so this lets you go on and take on the bigger monsters and the bigger bosses while having some support. Yeah. Um, could you kind of comment on this? I've heard some people say that you really need, if you're soloing this game, you really need to be a knight um, or a tanky kind of class. I was a magic character almost every time I soloed and, no, I had, you know, I died a few times, but I was able to revive and I was still able to finish the quest. So, no, that's completely, that's completely wrong based on my experience. I was playing as I a ranger and I was having no trouble soloing stuff because my yeah. damage output was really good. Yeah, I was playing Black Mage, White Mage, and Time Mage. Okay. Oh, you were playing as Time Mage? How was that? It was tiny. Tiny. Uh, <laughs> you were using haste and slow and stuff. So yeah, so so you you have to, you have two roles as a time mage. One is to buff your team with hastes. Um, you can use slow on the other monsters to slow them down, and it was working on bosses. Um, and then you could use the you had a quake attack, and you have gravga, which you could use. Um, and then eventually you can get meteor. Okay. So. There's not a lot more to say about this game. I do kind of agree with you that it's it's quite light. Yeah, you know, it's very light. It's um, I, w- I was hoping it would be more kid friendly than it was to my kid. Okay. But my, my kid's only turning six, so. Hmm. So maybe for like a ten year old. Or maybe an eight year old or a nine year old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I, I think World of Final Fantasy that's coming out later this year is going to be the game for even for the younger set too. Oh yeah, that might be the case. I, I said in my article that I wrote on US Gamer that when you're trying to break into a particular niche, um, a lot of the times, like somebody like you know, Capcom has cornered the Monster Hunter market for the most part, and everybody else is just trying to kind what's, of. What's that other series in Japan? That's the biggest of a T. There's one that's, um. It's more anime-like, but. There's one that's made by Bandai Namco. It's coming yeah. out on PS4. I forget what its name is. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Gosh. Dale North liked it. He was telling me about this last year, and I, I don't remember the name of it for, for the life of me. Neither do I. Um, which just goes to show how, I thought it started with an O, but it just goes to show, like, how relevant that series is. Um. Well, Final Fantasy Explorers, I, I commented that it kind of takes the Blizzard approach in that it leverages familiar characters and a good presentation that can be only really be provided by a few publishers, um, the kind of publishers that have a built-in fan base like Square Enix. And then they made it as accessibly, as accessible as humanly possible without being too shallow. And that combination, like, when done incorrectly can be kind of unsatisfying. It's just kind of fluffy and insubstantial. But I think that there is enough there that Final Fantasy Explorers ultimately has merit. Uh, and I think that Square Enix took the right approach in just trying to go as light a, and accessible as possible. It's the kind, kind of game that, as I said, you can play with your significant other or your roommates or your or your kids um if they're old enough and it's fun so i would i would actually recommend it if you are into 
if you're kind of interested in the genre. Um, I don't think it's going to draw like established Monster Hunter fans because established Monster Hunter fans are going to go, man, what is this? This is so shallow. The only way I would see them enjoying it is if they were total into Final Fantasy and decided to play with somebody who was too intimidated by Monster Hunter but likes the idea. I have a friend who's like super into Monster Hunter. His name is not Bob Mackie. And <laughs> he uh, picked it up a couple days ago and he said, and he like got into it immediately. So there is that. And he said that his gaming group was like also like super pumped for it. So we'll see how that how long that lasts. I will say that there's a lot of content. I mean, you can go up to like 10 yeah. stars of difficulty. Um, and it, it starts showing its teeth a bit right at the end of the second star of difficulty. So I can only imagine what 10 star difficulty is like. Bahamut. <laughs> All right. So that's Final Fantasy Explorers. As I said, I would recommend it. Jason, you're playing a ton of other RPGs. Oh my god, I'm playing a little bit of everything right now. So, so okay, so I'm totally enmeshed in Darkest Dungeon, which yes. I'm still trying to finish my review because I'm having a hard time ex- expressing how I'm experiencing it. But Darkest Dungeon to me is, if it's not the best RPG of this year, I'm going to be shocked. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's really fantastic. good game. Oh, I, it's fantastic. It's certainly up there. It's it's a great game. Um, I'm totally taken with it. Um, and I'm not talking as somebody who likes difficulty. I do, but I'm not talking just on those on those bases. You have between the variety of classes and the different ways that each class interacts with different parts of the dungeons. It, there's so many different options and tactics you can use. And to me, it's like a puzzle. Yes. How far are you? So I've beaten two of the bosses so far, and I still got to beat the cove, and then I've got to go into the end dungeon. Wait, so you're already up to the veteran and the champion level dungeons? Yeah, yeah. I, I oh. haven't done that with cove yet. Okay, wow, that's uh, that's hardcore. Yeah, well, I'm, I I love this game. I've been playing it a lot. Uh, and what's really funny is, so I started playing a silly run. Mm-hmm. For a, a really silly story, I'm trying to get finished here the next couple days, and it turned out to become my main run because I was doing so well in it. Didn't were you turn, have... taking all the journalists and turning them into people? No. Uh, what were you Pres- doing? That was maybe that was somebody else. No, presidential candidates. Oh, presidential candidates, and they were like, and they were playing it's... to type, right? They were. Oh my gosh. So they oh were like, gosh. what was Trump doing again? Okay, so I had Trump as the jester, and he <laughs> became abusive. So he's just pretty much yelling at everybody in the party. So you just let them all keep their afflictions and then just send them into yeah. the dungeons to die, essentially? Yeah. So I, pa- I, I paired them up with classes, and what's amazing is so many of them are up the negative the negative components of their own actual real-life personas that it's it's funny. Um, for example, Ben Carson is my plague doctor, and it's hilarious because he, you know, he's talking about being paranoid, and all, a lot of his paranoid comments have to do with health. So I thought that was hilarious. And I've got Carly Fiorita as my Hellion, and you know, because she, 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 you know, she, she's so strong with her statements on on the stump that it really fits with that. And so it's been a lot of fun. But what's amazing is none of these guys have died yet. I've gotten this far without any of them dying. That's amazing. And you let them stay afflicted. 
Yeah, I, I've cured afflictions that have nothing to do with their core personalities and personas. Okay, so, so you like, let them keep their quirks. Yeah, like uh. say, for example, uh, you know, Trump became a kleptomaniac, and I don't think he's a kleptomaniac, so I, I took care of that one. Okay, but 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 when um, but when he got when he got syphilis, I decided to let him have it. Keep Jesus, it. because you know he's had a couple, you know, he's been divorced and everything, so I figured, okay, that kind of fits. So who's Bernie? Well, it's only with the GOP. Oh, I see where your stand, where your party leanings are. Well, no, because I have to find another role-playing game to do this with the Democrats. But there's only three, and you need at least four people in the party for Darkest Dungeon. Oh, I see. Okay, so you aren't mixing the Dems and the uh, the Republicans. Yeah, because that would just be weird. They would never go dungeon crawling together. No, that's true. I, I'll agree with that, though. It's hard for me to imagine Jeb and Trump going on a dungeon run together. Oh my gosh, it's so funny because um, Jeb became stalwart. So what's what? great? Yeah, <laughs> what, what's what's great is when they get stressed, they can get afflictions, or they can get buffs. And Jeb became stalwart. And so I have Jeb is my man at arms, just you know the general, you know representative of the fighting man because he's the general representation of the establishment in the GOP oh. and he became stalwart and so he's sitting here and he's trying to goad everybody on and it's like we can do it we can do it and, and... Uh, well, I, there's a lot of things I think about Jeb but um, hard bitten warrior um, is not one of them I'm afraid <laughs> to say yeah but it's, it's it's been so funny and so I've got this Google Doc just full of all this stuff that I've got to at some point just mesh out and put on. Um, it, it's, but what's amazing is um, none of them have died. That is pretty amazing. And, and and part of it is because I've been very conservative in, in how I'm taking on these dungeons. And, you know, some of the lower level stuff I'd run through three or four times in ways to help buff up and get them up leveled and get them to higher levels in a safe environment. And then once they all got to the point where they're saying they won't do those quests anymore because it's beneath them, then you go up to the next rank. Well, uh, yeah, we talked quite a bit about Darkest Dungeon in the previous podcast, and you should like totally check it out if you haven't heard it. Um, I interviewed Tyler Sigmund, and we went like super into depth about that. Um, really quickly, what are your thoughts on Torment? Because I know you've been playing it. So I've just started it, and so my first initial thoughts are, Yep, this is Planescape. Yeah, well, that's good, right? That's good. Yeah, that's I mean, that's all you. That's all you can ask, I, I guess. It's um, it's it, it's pr- it's pretty too. Oh yeah, well, it's, so was Pillars of Eternity last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't expecting this one to be pretty though. Pillars of Eternity, most underrated RPG of last year, without a doubt. Because like nobody talked about it. It like suffered from nobody talked about it, but me and you. It was like the Oscars uh, syndrome. Well, no, where no, it was like not, it. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. No, no. I, what I mean is, it came out too early in the year. Oh, yeah, it could have. But I mean, that said, too, you know, it's it's on PC and it's a niche PC game, and there's a lot of people in the general press who may not be playing it. And you know, The Witcher, The Witcher Three is a goddamn great game too. So it's. The Witcher 3 and Fallout 4 just so completely subsumed it. Mm-hmm. But it's a shame, because Pillars of Eternity was a good game. It um, is a good and game. And you should totally check it out. And it's got another, it's got um, part two of the white, 
uh, of the, the the expansion coming out here pretty soon. Hmm. Yeah. Oh man. But I think I'm going to hold off because I got a lot of other RPGs to be playing, including Fire Emblem, pretty soon. So. Well, you see, you just do what I do. You know, you know. Baseball hasn't started yet. I don't watch hockey. You know, you can watch the Warriors, but at this point, you know, they're going to win and they're going to look awesome doing it. And so, so why bother? So I'm just not watching TV. <laughs> well, that is literally, I've never heard anybody make that argument for sports before. Oh, they're going to win and they're going to look awesome doing it. So why even bother watching them? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's at the point now that, okay, so I'm almost ashamed of myself to admit this, but it's, they win so much, it's not appointment television anymore. Wow. Now, now against the Spurs, oh yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. But, you know, last night against the Mavericks, oh yeah, they had a little slow start and, you know, 18 point lead. I freaking hate you. God. You know what? You could say that this, this, this is totally about the Bay Area mentality when it comes to sports. Let me tell you, when the Vikings went 15 and 1 in 98, you better believe I was watching every single one of those games and just marveling at the most incredible show that I've ever watched. This is a historically great team, Jason. Yes, I know it's a historically great team, but I got RPGs to play. You're witnessing history. Okay, anyway, that's my sports tangent. Um, are you playing any other good RPGs? Are yes, you- I am. I'm playing, so I'm playing Dragon's Dogma on PC, Dark Arisen, and that game's a hoot, and, and lots, lots of people missed it on console. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a fun, big monster, big world game to go play. Um, you know, it, 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 you do a lot of crazy stuff with it, and I just, I just had a blast with it. Um, I'm playing a character who, who's a mage, but I, Tried to make her look as much as B. Arthur as I could, because I thought that was just hilarious. And, yep, she does, and it's a lot of fun. But I gave her this even huskier voice than she had in real life, and it just it, every time she talks, it, it, it it's hilarious. Um, All right. Well, yeah, Dragon's Dogma. Uh, Bob was covering that for us over on the US Gamer. Yeah, he had some nice things to say about it. Did you cover it at all for GameSpeed? Not yet. Not yet, because I, you know, it's a port, so I don't want to just write a review of a port, so I want to do something special with it. All right. Jason Wilson, you can find your work over at GameSpeed, of course, and follow you on Twitter at Jason underscore Wilson. Um, You got anything to plug? Um, just GameSpeed. Um, this is, you know, we're going to be continuing things. And next month, we're going to be doing a week-long blowout on Pokemon. Pokemon? Yeah, yeah. we're waiting until Pokemon Day. That's going to be like in a month. So uh, I've uh, we've got some cool stuff planned for the Pokemon anniversary. So yeah, sounds we, like everybody does. Well, I'm sure a lot of people do. But, you know, we're... we're we we've got a like you know I'm I'm not a Pokemon fan like you are but we've got a few people on staff who are but the the impact it's had on the gaming business and since GameSpeed cares about the business of games is is amazing and you know you, you can't ignore it. All right, well please look forward to that and Jason, thanks for coming on the show. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. I hope you all have a good one. Okay, welcome back. We now have here Bob Mackey, senior writer over at US Gamer, and we're going to talk a little bit about a little game that came out without much fanfare, but maybe deserves a little bit more praise. Mario & Luigi Paper Jam. 
Um, Bob, you reviewed it for us. Share your thoughts. I like it. I think I gave it a four out of five. It feels like forever ago. I think the witness has removed all knowledge of past games from my head. That was but, the most um, qualified. I like it that I've ever heard. I like it. Uh, it's go. good. Okay. I mean, I did not play Dream Team because of the things Jeremy said about it. Made it seem as if I would hate it just as much as he seemed to hate it. Um, and I, and this game, I think uh, what it does best is it just cuts to the chase. The the premise is just as straightforward as you can get. It's like, oh yeah, uh, rescue the princesses and do all the stuff you did before, but with some new twists. Like, it's not that concerned with setting up the game because I think by this point it knows why you're you're there. Yeah. So it's just kind of assuming, okay, you know the drill, you like this kind of game, go. Yeah, pretty much. And like I Bowser's ba- sorry, Bowser's Inside Story, which was the third game for the DS. Um, that's my favorite, just because it had a really cool premise, and I think it got the perfect balance of uh, you know straight up play and story without being too self indulgent. And um, I think this does a lot of what Bowser's Inside Story did, but maybe without like the interesting premise. You're just kind of like doing all the Mario stuff that you normally do, but just sort of in an RPG context. It's so I'm going to go ahead and admit that it's been a while since I've really engaged with a a Mario RPG kind of game. Um, so the the thing that I, I feel like kind of is underappreciated is, is the fact that. Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi are really two different kinds of games, right? Um, Paper Mario, is it kind of more of a platformer? It was in the Wii. Not, I mean, Super Paper Mario was. I think after after Thousand Year Door, all bets are off as to what Paper Mario actually is. Mm-hmm. Like, Super Paper Mario is a... Um, is a platformer, a strange platformer, and then Sticker Star is kind of like an RPG, but it's really more of an adventure game with like a battle system grafted onto it. I would say Mario & Luigi is the most... Um, it's the most traditional kind of uh, RPG format. It's the, it's the one that's kind of more faithful to the original vision of Super Mario RPG. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like the successor to Super Mario RPG. You have... Um, timed hits you have uh equipment um yokoshi Mamora does the music uh yeah it does feel like the the true successor to that that original game which is 20 years old this year wow really yep 1996 Jeez. pokemon and mario uh mario rpg i i had a friend my one mario rpg story is that i was having a sleepover with a friend and she forced me to play that whole game <laughs> wow yeah. How long did this sleepover last? Well, I mean, we started uh, like the afternoon of the day before, and we played basically all night without sleeping, and we ended up finishing it. I finished that game a surprising amount of times just because it's so like relaxing, and uh, it's pretty easy, but it's also really short. I think it's less than 20 hours long, but it's just like a really smooth ride, and if I feel like playing an RPG that... I don't have to think too hard about it. Like, I can always just pop that in and, you know, finish it. I think I probably finished it, like, seven or eight times in my life. So, Mario & Luigi Paper Jam is so-called because Paper Mario is actually in this one. He's, like, a third-party member. And in, yep. does the, the thing that I remember from seeing the demo of Paper Jam is that he... I mean, there's a lot of, like, visual gags with him. Like, he'll... You, you know, just alluding to the fact that he's 2D um, and he's hanging out with Mario and Luigi, 
who are not 2D or but, who but are they still theoretically are. It's, it's, 3D. It's a weird like it's like philosophically it's a weird thing because it's like hey these these 2D characters are interacting with these 3D characters, but they're, everyone is 2D. But in fact, the 2D characters are actually 3D because they're just like a flat thing that can spin around. So it's it's very kind. Of, it's weird if you think too much about it. Don't don't think about it too much. Yeah. So do they ultimately do a lot with this kind of funny conceit of uh, Paper Mario coming into the Mario Luigi games? I will say in terms of like narrative and jokes, not not really, but the the main way that the whole paper angle pays off is with um the battle system because Paper Mario uh moves differently than Mario and Luigi, his attacks are different and his hit points and stuff works differently. And that also goes uh the same for um enemies. Like you'll fight a Goomba and you'll be like, Okay, this is this is how this Goomba attacks, this is how I have to dodge, this is how I have to attack him, but then there'll be a paper version of that enemy and you'll have to think about like, okay, how do I change my strategies or like what what new twist is going to be happening now that this character is made of paper and can move differently. So just that uh additional thing to think about makes the battles pretty interesting because it's it's not just memorizing um the same attacks from the same enemies. You get these little twists here and there where you have to rethink what you know from fighting the past versions of them. Something just occurred to me, and this is a totally random aside. Um, the villain from the original Super Mario RPG is in Paper Jam, right? The villain? Um, I don't think so. Oh. Who's the villain from the original Mario RPG? Smithy? Smithy. Yeah. I, I thought Smithy was in Paper Jam, but I guess I'm wrong. Hmm. Um, why isn't he in Smash Brothers? Is this like a Square Enix thing? I think it's that, but also no one cares about those original characters. Uh, no, I take that back. People really like Gino yeah. from Mario RPG. I don't know why. Like he <laughs> he has a costume in Smash Brothers um, for some reason. But as far as the villains go, no one really cares about those characters very much. Well, it goes to show how memorable they are because I totally don't even remember who the heck they are. The best thing about Mario RPG, and this was like really novel back in the day, was just the way that it de- kind of deconstructed. The, the platformer um it it started out with you rescuing the princess and fighting bowser and all that stuff and then it went from there and became a much greater adventure and it made peach kind of a a fun and funny character who could kind of take care of herself and actually ends up joining the party and you end up having to work together with Bowser, and he's hilarious. Yeah, Peach is a super useful character in Mario RPG. I would say she's even OP. And it was a really smart game. And it 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 lacked the kind of... Like, it was, it was smart, but it didn't have the kind of over-the-top self-awareness that later Mario ga- Paper Mario games seemed to develop, or Mario and Luigi as well. Um, the, we are very funny, we are going out of our way to be funny kind of thing. Um, how did you feel about the humor in Mario, Mario and Luigi? It's, um, like I said, it's not as specific or memorable as the past games were, but then mm-hmm. again, those past games did dwell on things a little too long. Most of the humor comes out of uh, characters interacting with their paper counterparts and mainly getting annoyed at their own character flaws because they're seeing them reflected back at them. So, like... One Bowser's a huge jerk to the other Bowser, and like I don't know, it, it, they set up some fun like little um, 
foils to characters you know, but um, they really back away from story with this game. They're much more interested in, in letting you explore and play and have fun with the battle system, and I, and I think that's nice. Um, I, I mean, I've read enough Mario RPG dialogue where I can I can have one game where they dial back on it a bit. How do you feel? How did you, if I recall correctly, you didn't like the previous Paper Mario, the one that came out, was it last year? Uh, that was 2013, Sticker Star. Really? Is it 2013? It may have been 2012, even. Okay, well, you didn't like it, though. Right. What, why not? What were your thoughts? It's, um, it had, like, like I said, it was an adventure game with a battle system, which is a cool idea, but I thought the adventure game puzzles were super hard to figure out with not a lot of feedback from the game itself that it was necessary. And I felt like you were fighting battles, but not for experience or not for anything in particular. You were fighting for stickers, which is sort of the economy in the game. You use them to fight and to heal and to do other things. But once your book is full of stickers, just getting into fights is not fun, and you can barely avoid them. So that was a huge problem for me. Like, I don't need to fight, but the game is still making me get into these fights, which I will see no no profit from. So... I just felt like I wasted my time, and especially with those, you know, hard to figure out puzzles, made that made it worse for me. But that game has such a great soundtrack. It probably has the best soundtrack of the Paper Mario series. I think that definitely has the best soundtrack. But it just it's stapled onto a not so good game. What are your thoughts on where Mario RPG, Mario and Luigi slash Paper Mario kind of stand in general? I don't know. I mean, they're very different games, and it's been over 10 years since Paper Mario tried to just be an RPG. But I think I've always liked uh, Mario and Luigi a little bit more because there was, I mean, there's just a little more to sink your teeth into in terms of, like, if you're an RPG fan. And um, I think they do the whole rhythm, the whole rhythm-based battles, or not even rhythm-based, but timing-based battles a lot better than Paper Mario, which you you essentially just enter the same commands over and over. But... um, with this game, there is the enemy to think about, and dodging their attacks requires a lot of like knowledge and tri- trial and error. And I, I just feel like it's a it's a fun little kind of like rhythm heavy uh, mini game you're playing in, in over the course of many battles, and uh, that's more appealing to me than what's happening in Paper Mario. Overall, it feels kind of like um, Mario and Luigi has slipped a bit from the to maybe being like a second tier kind of Mario game. Would you say that's kind of fair to say? Uh, compared to what though? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, I feel like uh, I pointed out in my review that um, sorry, uh, hold on. Okay, sorry, I pointed out in my review that like when Mario RPG first started, it was this outlandish idea that people snickered at and weren't sure how it would work. But now it's such like a an established thing that it just sits alongside Mario. It's just another interpretation. So. We don't get Mario... I think we get a regular Mario game as often as we get a Mario RPG these days, so I don't see them as, you know, being that different in terms of stature anymore. Okay. So, um, and how would you say Paper Jam stacks up to the rest of the series? Would you recommend it? I would recommend it, yeah. I gave it a pretty high review score, and... um, I still like Bowser's Inside Story the best. It just had a lot more fun ideas. Uh, This one feels just like... um, I don't know. It, it, I don't know if it feels like a finale to the series, but it's just giving people who like the series what they want, essentially, and not much more than that. And it would be neat if there was more of a twist or more of a more of something going on uh, than you know exploring. Here, here's the forest level. Here's the desert level. Here's the lava level. Here's the ice level. But at the same time, the battles are fun enough where some of the more bland uh, parts of the game are easily forgotten about. Mm. All right. Well, Paper Jam. Go check out Bob's review on the site. 
Before I let you go, Bob, <clears throat> you were playing Dragon's Dogma on the PC. That's right. Uh, Jason brought that up as well. It's been kind of fun to have what was kind of a, a chronically overlooked RPG from, I think, 2012. Um, are you still playing it, and what are your thoughts? I had to put it down to review, like, three things, but I, I'm going to go back to when I have time. I, I'm really enjoying it. For as much as um, I don't like the bland fantasy setting, and the setting in Dragon's Dogma is pretty bland, um, it it like again, like I said with Paper Mario, um, sorry, again, like with Paper Jam, it cuts to the chase. It's like we know what you're here for, and we're gonna let you do that. You're not gonna sit through a pro- prologue. You're not going to be burdened with all of these log entries and and townspeople, and you know, um, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> these long cinema scenes. You're just going to go out there and fight and have fun, and that's what it does best. Yeah, I always really liked Dragon's Dogma back in the day, even though I didn't get to review it. It felt like it was a game that never really got a fair shake among reviewers to some extent. Um, Oh, that's completely... Yeah, I mean, um, I pointed this out. I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like obviously no review can be objective and reviews are very much tied into the circumstances around the release of the game and Mm. uh, dragon's dogma came right after dark souls and skyrim like six months later and our expectations were wildly different after those games for what an rpg should be so an rpg that wasn't as ambitious was immediately going to be panned um in the wake of those two games and it was also kind of a meme i feel like still that japan had forgotten how to make video games yeah, I think that's part. That's a huge part of it, and that was like in the tail end of those of those dark days for people who like Japanese games. And I think like things like Xenoblade uh, were turning things around and making people notice, like, hey, like Japan still can make Japan's great games. Japan's back. Yeah, they never um, went away. They were just on portables for a long time. I've told this story before, but one of my key memories uh, from Dragon's Dogma was when they were when Capcom was doing the press tour. They had like a press day for dragons for like a whole bunch of their games and they were showing like a Resident Evil game that was like a shooter. It was like a third person shooter and that was really bad. And they were showing, um, uh, what was it? Oroki? What was it? The dra- the, the demon one that was basically like super over the top. Um, Ashura's Wrath? Yeah, they were showing Asura's Wrath. And so everybody was kind of focusing on that. And then in the corner <laughs> was Dragon's Dogma. And it was on one TV, and literally nobody was playing it. And I felt so bad for the developer. Because it didn't look good. It didn't demo very well. It was kind of ugly. Uh, the uh, developer who was giving a talk about it was putting it in the most bland terms possible. And so you're like, oh, well, this game's ob- probably going to be bad, right? Um, so people were just kind of like, meh. And then, and then of course, as you said, it seemed like it was trying to be kind of Skyrim-y and kind of Dark Souls-y, and you were like, well, it can't match up to those games. And then a few months later, I was unemployed, and <laughs> I was doing a freelancing for some magazine, and they sent me a, a preview copy, and I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'll play this and see if I can write something about it. And the first thing I thought was, well, the first thing I thought was, man, the rock soundtrack on this title screen is hilarious. And the second thing I thought was, hey, this game isn't bad hey this game was actually kind of rad um and it was pretty and it was fun to fight the monsters and it did scale really well and it was really cool to like i remember like one of the first monsters you fight um how do you have to fight it it's just it's like gigantic and you have to do something it's like a chimera you have to climb on it 
Yeah. And so it was kind of Shadows of the Colossus-y in that regard, right? Right. And, and there was another monster that you would hold on to. Like, I love the holding on mechanics. Yeah, it feels so good. And the, the game is directed by the guy who took over Devil May Cry and has been it's stewarding it for the past like decade. So the reason the combat feels so good, it's it's straight-up action game combat. Like, that's what I didn't like about Dragon Age Inquisition. Like, the combat just felt so... Um, uninspired to me and you're doing a lot of it so i want i want to feel like you know the the i want to feel like the blows of battle and things like that like just like you do in dark souls but this game really really solved that problem for me like i love even fighting the common enemies because you just you can you can do all those cool devil may cry moves and feel good about putting on a good performance well in any case i I think we've sold our audience enough uh dragon's dogma totally worth checking out and I'm really glad that it's getting kind of a second life on Steam, just like a bunch of games. And hopefully we'll get a sequel someday. Yeah, and it runs so great on PC. And I have an older PC, so um, this is kind of Careful, the definitive Bob, you're way the P- to... You're getting into PC Master Race No, territory. I refuse to use that term, but my <laughs> PC is like six years old. It should not be able to run anything. It runs Dragon's Dogma at 60 frames per second, and it looks glorious, yes. and there's no loading time. So, man, it's it's magic. Oh hell, I'm upgrading my my hard drive um tomorrow so I can have more space. Maybe I'll grab Dragon's Dogma. It is fun. I love it. All right, got anything else that you're playing? Uh boy, nothing nothing RPG related right now. Yeah, you just finished The Witness. You should go check out your review. It was a good review. Thank you. Um kind of a contrarian review, but that's good because we need contrarian opinions. I have um, the lowest score on Metacritic now, so Well, we do that a lot at US Gamer. They're going to be coming for me. <laughs> pitchforks and and torches and all that stuff um also uh what are you looking forward to oh boy i'm actually i am trying to play through bravely default before bravely second comes out i don't know Mm. if i'm gonna be able to do that i do have a lot of international flights coming up so maybe i could knock that game out over the course of those but i am interested in that game and also uh of course we talked about dragon quest seven and eight and um Fire Emblem, it's, if I think about it, I'm just going to have a panic attack because I will never have enough time for any of these games. <laughs> but uh, mainly Bravely Second. I really like the first game. I need to give it a lot more time, though. And um, I, I just like what it does with uh, you know old-style old RPG mechanics. One thing I've learned when I'm flying is that I will go on to a flight with armed with a bunch of games and a bunch of things to read. And I'm like, yes, uh, I've got this long flight. And I'm totally going to use this opportunity to really get far in Persona Q. <laughs> and then halfway through the flight, I'll realize that I'm just playing FTL on my iPad. <laughs> or I'm just playing um, Plague of Shadows on my 3DS. And you never, you always like have this assumption of what you're going to play while you're going to trap while you're traveling. And it, it never pans out. You just end up playing something totally random. So. Good luck. I'm going to try to do it. It's my goal. I believe in you, Bob. <laughs> thanks. All right. Bob Mackey, thanks for coming on the show. As no always, you can check out your review of The Witness and, as I already said, Paper Jam on the site. Got anything else that you want to promote? Uh, yeah, it's not video game related, but uh, please listen to Talking Simpsons. Uh, it's my Simpsons chronological exploration. We're at the end of season two right now, and we do an episode for every Simpsons episode. So if you go to lasertimepodcast.com, you can find it there. Or I just recommended type it to, in... to a friend the other day. Oh, cool. Well, hopefully they'll enjoy it. But um, you can just find it by whatever podcast device you use. Type in Talking Simpsons, and uh, you, it'll pop up. So, Well, you're getting into the third season now. I might have to break it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, second season's still great. You know, 
this is so like first world problems, but it's weird to me to listen to podcasts with my friends on them. Cause I'm like, if I know this person, it's like, it, it takes away that kind of like authoritarian, authoritative like aspect. Like obviously, you know, a ton about the Simpsons and you can talk about it in a really interesting way, but it literally is listening to my friends talk about the Simpsons while I'm like on the bus as opposed to like listening to NPR or something. It's, do you, hey, do you kind of understand what I'm saying? I don't know. I mean, the guys on NPR are just regular people too, right? Yeah, they're regular people, but I don't know them, so uh. I can pretend that they know more than me, <laughs> even though they probably don't. It's kind of why I don't listen to Retronauts anymore. But you should listen to Retronauts. Oh man, what a burn at the end of this podcast! <laughs> well, I'm not totally listening listen to, to this podcast anymore. Oh, Bob, you're breaking my heart. No, I actually listen to the podcast that I'm on just to see like how I screwed something up, and so I can feel bad about myself. I can't listen to my own podcast. I just can't do it. <laughs> I listen to my own podcast when I'm editing it. There you go. That counts. All right. And of course, you, uh, Axe of the Blood God is brought to you by US Gamer. Um, check us out at usgamer.net. Um, you can check out the, the actual podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and all of that good stuff. Please leave us a review. Reviews are good. They make us happy. Oh, we're on SoundCloud as well, uh, for the US Gamer Net. Um, I don't think I have anything else pr- to promote. You know all these social media channels, but yeah. Uh, next week we are going to be, well, it's a little bit up on, in the air. Um, but next week is kind of one of those in between weeks. So I think I might go for a more general conversation topic and just talk about narrative and RPGs because, and the role of narrative and RPGs, because I find that kind of interesting, to be honest. And see if I can get my old friend Steve Tramer back on the show to talk about that. But, of course, there may be other stuff, so who knows? And then, of course, in the over the next month, we are going to have Fire Emblem Fates. We're going to be playing that pretty soon. And there's the Pokemon 20th anniversary, so we'll see what we can get for that little date. But until then, thanks to Jason and Bob for coming on the show. I've been Cat Bailey. And until next time, happy adventuring. 